When is the last time you've been truly blown away or stood in awe of something? When's the last time that you've looked at something or experienced something and you stood back and just said, wow. When's the last time you've felt that way about Christmas? When's the last time you pulled yourself away from the rat race that sometimes we can find ourselves jumping on the tracks and jumped off the tracks and pulled away and said, man, what took place 2,000 years ago was just truly unbelievable. I think we live in a society that's on sensory overload. I'm a visual, kinesthetic learner. And so I have to be doing things. I like to learn by building and making I also like to learn by seeing. I'm a very visual. I've done all the charts and I've seen my learning style, kinesthetic, tactile, and visual. And so I can be enamored by visual things. It helps me to learn. We live in a society that is overloaded with sensory items. Our senses can be on overload. In fact, there's a technical term for that. It occurs when one or more of the body's senses experiences overstimulation from the environment. There are many environmental elements that impact an individual's sensory overload, whether we've seen it once or we've seen it a couple times. So we have to really be careful that we don't get on sensory overload and say we've seen it, we witnessed before, that somehow because this miraculous has taken place, we pull away and say that's just a tradition, now, you know, that, that took place, and we lose sight of what is in front of us when we see it again. Let me give you an example. We have snow, or we had snow here in Indiana. And some of us look out there and see the mud and it just kind of puts a bitter taste in our mouth for Christmas. Yet, do you realize that snowflakes are the amazing creation of God? If you were to take a snowflake and count the number of snowflakes that fall on planet Earth in one year, scientists tell us who study things like this say that septillion amount of snowflakes fall on planet Earth. So just wrap your mind around it. Take a one and add 24 zeros to it. A trillion, trillion snowflakes fall on planet Earth every year. That's a lot of snowflakes. A trillion, trillion. If you start counting that, you would die before you got to the end of that. That's how many snowflakes fall on planet Earth. Scientists who study these things and study the clouds and study um, uh, snowflakes tell us this. That they have never found, by the way, they haven't taken all trillion, trillion snowflakes and tested them. But all the snowflakes that they've ever looked at on planet Earth, there have never been two identical in molecular structure. Now just wrap your mind around that for a second. Our God has created snowflakes that have no match, have no pair. So every time you see a snowflake fall, there will never be, has or has there been yet, one to be found that has the same molecular structure as the one that has already fallen. Our God is able to create in such a way, even snowflakes, that are different than every other snowflake. In fact, recently I came across some photos where a scientist took individual snowflakes put them on a glass, took a special camera behind the glass and took a picture of individual snowflakes. 
Let me just show you what some of these look like. Look at these snowflakes. That's one snowflake taken by with a special camera behind a, a pane of glass. Look at this other snowflake. Incredible, isn't it? Look, look, at, this, look at this snowflake. Next. Of the trillion, trillion snowflakes that fall on planet Earth each year, there's not a pair. Look at this next snowflake. Take a look at the next one. Look at the next one. Another one. We could go on and on and on and on and on. How powerful our God is and how he makes things that can be so different, yet similar structure, but different molecular makeup. Now wrap your mind. Doesn't it remind you of some of the snowflakes that you've cut out as a kid with paper? and say, Look at my snowflake. And our God is able to create snowflakes that don't have a pair. And so when we look at snow, sometimes we look at snow, we can get that snow. I mean, you get it every year. Some of you like it. Some of you don't like it. And some of you don't like shoveling it. Some of you like shoveling it. I mean, and so we look at it. It's either we like it or we don't. But how often do we look at snow and go, wow. When's the last time you looked at snow and said, wow. It's happened so often and it happens so frequently in, in, in the, the state that we live in that we've seen it and witnessed that we miss out on this incredible design, this incredible God that can create snowflakes, a trillion, trillion of them, and not one pair at all. At our home, uh, we have this globe that we bring out every Christmas. It's a snow globe, and it's, uh, it has, plays some really neat music. And if you were to look at it close, you would see that it has the, some scenery that's floating on the inside. And, and as a kid, as a small kid, I used to love the, the snow globes. I would shake them up and just see, and then I would count how long to all the snowflakes flakes had fallen. I would be enamored as a kid with these snow globes. And even this one here, if you look closely at this one, this one here has a nativity scene. And in this nativity scene, you'll see the wise men, you'll see, you'll see sheep, you'll see Mary. By the way, she didn't look that good after giving birth in a barn uh, to Jesus. And so when, every time I look, say, like, come on, give me a break. There's no way she looked that good after giving birth in a barn. Um, another story for another day. But how many times do you look at the nativity scene, or how many times have you seen the nativity scene that, that it, it doesn't really give you a wow experience anymore? How many times have you looked at this? How many times have you read the Christmas story and walked away and just, yeah, it's tradition, it's Christmas, we come, it's, it's the Sunday before Christmas. Hey, you want to go to church with me? Let's hear Pastor Jim talk about, you know, the miraculous virgin birth, praise God, hallelujah, let's go get some turkey afterwards. How often have you found yourself awestruck with this nativity, with this, with this thing we call Christmas. When is the last time? When is the last time you were blown away at Christmas? Some of us got to go back to our childhood. That's probably why it's good to continue to have children because there's something about children. Out of the mouth of children comes amazing things. I can picture back to Christmases for myself. I can remember Christmases when, when I came out and I got that bike. It's like, 
I remember a Christmas when I was eight years old, this green Schwinn bike. It was incredible. I remember it was six inches of snow, and I was out trying to pedal that thing in the snow. Do you remember those moments? Like, you're just, you're just awestruck. It's like, wow. I can remember Josh when I was in seminary, and we were, I was studying, and Ann and I attended a church down in Warsaw. And, and I remember Christmas fell on a Sunday morning, and so we allowed our kids to bring a gift that they got for Christmas. And I remember him as a four-year-old sitting in the service with a basketball. He was just like, oh, Dad, this is awesome. When's the last time you looked at the nativity scene and thought, wow, that's amazing? Or has it just become a, a tradition that every year it happens, December 25th, we get together with family, we give gifts, and we sing some Christmas songs, and we come to Christmas Eve services, and I like the three o'clock. How about you? I like the five? I like the seven. By the way, I like all of them. When's the last time you've been enamored with these truths of Christ coming to us? How many kings step down from their thrones and come to planet Earth and humble themselves to a servant? How many lords have abandoned their homes to rescue people who were later spit on them and curse at them and deny them? How many sons would come from a God to earth to save people? How many greats have become less for people? How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn apart? How many fathers would give up their sons for a group of people who would reject, who would run, who would constantly be walking away. How many dads in this room or in the link or across the internet would be willing to give up your son to die so that a world could be saved? Even at Christmas, if we're not careful, we become too stressed, too much of a Scrooge, more concerned about counting dollars and not getting too many chocolate cookie calories in us. In an effort to be politically correct, we will write Jesus out of the story. We will secularize this incredible day to the point that someone who has never heard of Christ or Christmas couldn't get the message even if they tried. Pretty soon, if we're not careful, if we're not enamored with the wow of a virgin birth, that a God would send his only son to save people, it'll just become a mark on the calendar and in our daytimers. And pretty soon people will say what too many people are saying now. It just doesn't seem like Christmas. Why doesn't it seem like Christmas? Is it because of the rat race, the obligations and the adult responsibilities? Is it because the newness and the freshness has worn off? Is it because there's no mystery or no magic anymore? Is it because the light has dimmed and the music has faded? Listen to me, those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, this day changed everything. Everything. And when it just becomes a thing that we put in a globe and we, we go to these live nativity scenes and we're no longer enamored with it, we better ask this question, what's happened to my heart? Has Christmas become just another tradition? You add some family members, 
we need to renew the wonder of God. Today, my hope is this. That somehow that the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who call ourselves Christ followers, would just give us a fresh perspective and take us back to that moment that changed everything. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 26 through 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Let me ask you to do something. Don't check out. Don't look at this thing and say, I'm going to read everybody, read the Bible together. By the way, this is a living word. This isn't like Newsweek. This isn't like a novel. This is God's word alive and active. Ask the Holy Spirit right now. You can do this on your own. Holy Spirit, open my heart. Open my eyes. May I see this in a fresh way again. The awe and wonder of the virgin birth. Let's read this together. Luke 1, 26 through verse 38. Ready, read. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You can have a seat. Imagine... Pull away for a second all this information coming to you as a 13-year-old girl. Just wrap your mind around that for a second. Imagine this information coming to Mary as a 13-year-old girl. Imagine as this angel came knocking at her door and he introduces himself as Gabriel. And it's not Halloween. It's this angel standing at the door. Imagine this girl who was pledged to be married to a man just a common man that was a carpenter that lived in a small town from a peasant family. Imagine her, the only thing on her mind at this moment wasn't an angel knocking at the door, was planning for a wedding. How many of you ladies have have found yourselves planning for a wedding and how you go into this administrative mode, check it off, they're going to be there, check this off, check that off. And so the closest thing to Mary's mind at this moment is, I'm pledged to be married and there's going to be this wedding, I better make sure. And then out of nowhere, she gets a knock at the door and there stands an angel talking to her. 
I get the impression that it freaked Mary out because it says she was terrified. She was greatly troubled. She was amazed. In fact, look at verse 29 again. Look what it says. It says this. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. How often in the middle of your day have you gotten a knock at the door and there stands an angel? Hey, my name's Gabe. You having a good day? When's the last time an angel knocked at your door? When's the last time as a teenager? Think about this one. When's the last time as a teen someone came up to you and said, hey, highly favored one? We don't even speak like that. Let alone do you rarely receive that as a teen. Mary is receiving this. And so, number one, it's an angel. Secondly, she has this great respect given to her by an angel. And all that she knew up to that point, she was getting married to Joseph. And she would live a simple life, get a house with a white picket fence, have kids, and live happily ever after without anyone ever knowing who she is. But no, she now appears on the pages of Scripture And we know her, and we've known about her for 2,000 years. She wondered what in the world was going on. She was from a poor family and wasn't used to getting treated with respect. Then the angel continues while she is still trying to figure out what in the world is happening. Look again, look what he says. He tells her, you have found favor. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him what? Jesus. Now, what a way to wake up one morning, huh? The last thing you went to bed, you were talking to your girlfriends. Hey, what should you do for your wedding? Hey, should I send out invitations? Hey, what kind of invitations should I send out? Hey, mom, do we have this ready? Mom, do we have that ready? Dad, are you going to be there on time? Imagine all these thoughts running through her mind. She wakes up, she hears a knock at the door. Wedding plans are on her mind, and there's an angel who says, hey, by the way, you're going to get pregnant, and you're going to get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, you don't Google that on Wikipedia anywhere. It wasn't like she had someone to go to. Hey, tell me how that happens. How's the Holy Spirit overshadowing me, and how's the Holy Spirit conceived? I mean, up to that point, she, all she knew, she might have knew a little bit about, about, about proper ways to to make babies, yet she hadn't heard about Holy Spirit way. See, sometimes we lose sight. This was a real human being getting handed information that was way over her head. While this angel continues, she is wondering what in the world is happening. That morning, she was just another teenager pledged to be married to a carpenter from DJ Construction. And now she's going to be called... Mary, the mother of Jesus. Don't you think that'd freak you out a little bit if you were 13 years old? So she asked, look at her response in verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. In other words, Jim Brown paraphrased, hey, how's this happen? How am I going to explain it? I've never slept with him. How is it possible? And then her mind begins to run. If that's going to happen, then that means I got to go to him. I got to tell my parents, oh, this isn't going to be a good day. What was meant to be an incredible day is now her mind is pondering thoughts of what in the world is going on. In 
verse 35, it says this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One be born to you will be called the Son of God. Oh, okay, that makes it easier. I understand now. (laughs) Do you see it, the gravity of this moment? Can you imagine the weight of the world on her shoulders? Can you imagine what's running through this human being's mind? Can you imagine as, as the processing of, of thoughts begins to run in all directions? Stop for a second and consider this. How in the world would she explain this one to her mom and dad? Imagine girls going to your father and talking to him and say, Dad, we need to talk. I'm getting married. Yeah, dad will say, I know that. But dad, um, I'm pregnant. And before you kill me, we didn't do it together. I'm getting pregnant by the Holy Spirit, okay, Dad? I mean, how many of you are going to believe that from your daughter? If you are, you need to be sent away for a very long time. You see, there was no reference. It wasn't like she, in grade school, in the Jerusalem elementary, that somehow in middle school they studied about how to get pregnant with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't in the manual, nor was it for Dad, nor was it for her mom. And so this was all earth-shattering, incredible news for the very first time. Stop for a second and wrap your mind around that. You see, some of us read this and forget how mom and dad would react. Now imagine how Joseph would react. Imagine, ladies, you're going to your fiancé. You text him, hey, babe, can you come over? I got some great news. Let me give you the great news and let me explain it to you. So he comes in, you're excited, he's excited, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're engaged, you're excited, you can, oh, you know, those moments, you just can, he'll drive a hundred miles, he gets on his camel, he comes over. <laughs> Come on in. He's excited, they look at each other, the stargaze eyes, tell me anything, just anything, just say, Joey. <gasps> Sit down. You want to sit down? And so she begins to explain. I'm excited about the wedding. I got this taken care of. Mom's done this. Dad's done that. We're going to meet here. Here's the reception. Ross Elias is coming in as a DJ. Here's where we're at, okay? But there's one thing I want you to know. I'm pregnant. Now, he knows. He's had no relation with her. Imagine the first thought of this man who loves this woman so much that he's pledged to be married to her. And now she says, I have some really good news. I'm pregnant. Aren't you excited? No, I'm not. And then she concocts this story. But here, let me tell you how it happened. There was this angel the other morning. I opened up the door. He was standing there. He said his name was Gabe. And he told me that I'm pregnant. So we're pregnant. Aren't you happy? Give me a hug. Do you see this moment that's way beyond what we understand? Do you understand that this was hard information for Joseph? I mean, how would you respond? And so she tells him, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. You see, virgin births were not common experiences during that day. Don't gloss over the truth that's taking place here. Don't ever lose sight of this unbelievable thing called a virgin birth either. 
And so in verse 37, this angel tries to help her more and, and tells her this, for no word from God will ever fail. Meanwhile, Joseph hasn't gotten the angel talk yet. And Mary is now pregnant before he gets the angel talk. Look what Matthew says about that. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. He hasn't gotten the angel talk yet. So Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives from Joseph's perspective. Matthew 1, look at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Listen, don't gloss over that. You don't read that anywhere else in the Bible. Pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, it says, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was quite a man, by the way. 13, 14 years old, mature enough to say, you know what? I don't know what all took place here. I'm not certain about this angel thing. And I haven't had an angel talk yet, but I know that I love you so much that I'm not going to put you through the scrutiny and the ridicule and the public disgrace that can come because you're pregnant. And so I'd like to quietly divorce you so that you don't have to go through. I want to let you know that I love you. Listen, how many 13 and 14-year-old boys step up and be men like that? Joseph was. Look what it says next. It says, but after he had considered this, look what, this is after he considered that. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a what? Dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, what? Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Verse 22. All this took place fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, huh, what a dream, huh? He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Angel visit number two. Joseph is asleep. Angel comes and speaks to him and says, hey, you're going to give birth Your wife's going to give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus. He wakes up from this dream, knocks the sand out of his eyes, and it says he he listened to the commandment that the angel gave. He didn't question. He didn't back away. He just did it. When God spoke through the angel, he believed it, and he did what he was supposed to do. Now listen, how many 14-year-olds do that? Another amazing fact is this, that gets lost sometimes in this whole Christmas story. Look at verse 25. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Do you realize the, const- the constraint and restraint of this man? Now listen, those of us who are married, those of us who, who are married and, 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 and we know what we want to do on the honeymoon night. Now here is a man that, that held out on consummating 
this, this marriage until the baby was born. He was madly in love. He's as human as you are human. Sometimes we look at this, oh, he was just extra spiritual. No, he had, he had testosterone just like we did. And so he's married to this woman who he deeply loves, and he withholds having an intimate relationship with her until Jesus is born so that no one could ever say that it was Joseph. Now listen to me, that is incredible. You see, we can gloss over that and say, well, I could have done it. Oh, no, you couldn't. Keep in mind, too, that this birth had to be a virgin birth. Now, imagine for a second, you are Mary and Joseph, and people see that you are pregnant. Now, just, just pull away. Look at the human side of this. Who do you go to? I mean, Ladies, when you've been pregnant, isn't it great? Like, you go get your ultrasonogram picture. Now they're all over social media. I love them, by the way. Just, I get excited when I see newborn babies. Like, yeah! So keep posting them. I like them. It's like, you want to share. It's like, who can I share this with? Imagine going to your girlfriend and wanting to tell her that you're pregnant. And so you go and tell her. And by the way, it didn't happen with Joseph. Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? They couldn't even share because... They, they probably had to walk on the other side of the street because, did you hear about Joseph and Mary? She's a kook. She thinks she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how alone they felt as they walked through the streets of Jerusalem and Bethlehem day after day, wanting to share this with friends? Don't you want to share that? It's, it's an exciting time when you're pregnant. Isn't it exciting? You want to share that joy with family. And... and I'll guarantee you this. There wasn't any baby showers happening. People alienated from them. Because no one thought Christ would come to a peasant girl and a peasant man in the town of Bethlehem. He should be king. He should be born in Rome. You see, we lose sight of all that. It's like, oh, the nativity. Hey, uh, December 25th. That's pretty cool. Hey, let's sing it away. Away in a manger. No, get There had to be points in their young lives that they got tired of the looks and felt all alone because most didn't believe their story. I wonder, too, if they ever just wanted to be left alone. They had a lot to carry. Please don't lose sight of that. This was a special couple. But God knew they were up for it. Look what Luke says about this account. Turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 2. Look, look at his description of this. Please let this become new and fresh for you. Look what Luke said about this account. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their sheep at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were what? By the way, shepherds are the grittiest, toughest. I mean, if you're in a fight on the playground, you want to call shepherd boy in. Shepherd boy, kill him. Okay, how many? All of them. 
Shepherds killed bears. Shepherds killed, killed lions. Shepherds slept under the stars. Shepherds were gritty. They were strong. They were warriors. They knew how to take care of dumb sheep. In fact, shepherds would push their sheep into to cavities of rocks on all sides, and they became the gate. They literally laid down in an opening six feet wide, and the only way the sheep could get out, they had to walk over the shepherd. They slept in all kinds of weather. They were gritty, and it says that they were terrified. That doesn't happen to shepherds. Don't lose sight of that. They had never seen anything like this before. Look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, um, they must have seen the terror on the shepherd's face. Hey, don't be afraid of us. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, not only one angel, a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angels praising God and saying, picture that out in the wilderness. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to where? Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. There is no shepherd that would leave his sheep unless he had seen an angel. No shepherd's just going to leave his sheep unattended. We're dumb. We run away. You've heard the stories of the week that I was a sheep farmer for a pastor back in Maryland. I said, I'll take care of your sheep, Pastor John. All you got to do, Jim, is come and feed them every night. So I decided I'd come and feed them every night. No problem. And so my plan was, he showed me it was all fenced in. All I had to do was give him some food to eat. I could handle that. So every night after working construction, my first night I drive to go feed the sheep, trying to help out Pastor John. I get there, and I look up the road, and there's four sheep standing out in the middle of the road. Like, how'd they get out there? So I go, and it's his sheep. It's like, I've never heard it, sheep. What do you do? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a sheep farmer. I'd never heard it sheep before. So I'm running down the middle of the road, pushing sheep, trying to grab a hold of them. Let me tell you, they don't like when you run after them. They keep running. So 476 hours later, I got them back in the pen. Went around the outside of the fence, and I looked for places where sheep could get out. Because sheep think the grass is greener on the other side, don't they? Yes. So I found a spot, grabbed a piece of OSB board, jammed it in the ground. That must be it. Felt pretty good about it. I rescued sheep. I'm a shepherd. Fed them. Came back the next night. The next night I get there, there's 10 of them on the outside of the fence, sticking their head through the fence, eating the grass on the inside of the fence. No exaggeration. Dumbest animal I've ever seen in my life. I mean, what do you do? I don't know what to do. So a couple hours later, I get them back in. The thought occurred to me, shoot sheep. They're good to eat. I like veal. <laughs> this is no exaggeration. Come back the next night. I went around the fence, found another hole. Get back the next night. Four of them are out again. Long story short, I quit being a, sh- a shepherd. 
Sheep are dumb. No shepherd is going to leave his sheep unless he has seen something that's out of this world. An angel that said, hey, (laughs) the Messiah is coming. And you better go to this manger thing that's kind of over there. And a baby is going to be born to a peasant couple. And you need to be there. They left their sheep behind and moved on. Look at verse 19. It says this, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that had been heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What does she treasure in her heart? Come on, late moms, those of you that God has just chosen to del- give birth to children. Imagine beginning to process this. You're feeling this baby grow inside of you. And it's like, oh, there's a kick. It really happened. Can you, can you imagine? There had to be a part. Listen, she's not any more righteous than any of us. She's not like this super saint. She was just a common peasant girl pledged to be married who believed in God that a Messiah would come. But she never thought the thought. I'll guarantee you. She never processed that I will be the womb that the Messiah is born into. And so as the baby began to grow, I'm sure she had moments where, how did that happen? How is that even possible? And as her stomach began to get bigger and bigger and bigger, she treasured these things in her heart. I bet she also did something else. I bet she grabbed the Old Testament scrolls and began to read like she never read before. I bet she read every time she saw the name Messiah. She got out her pen and she underlined it. I bet she clipped and pasted scrolls all over the house and on the chalkboard. Jesus will come and his name will be. I bet she knew the Old Testament back and forth as any mom would do to prepare for this oncoming baby. I bet she read and she read and she read and she learned and learned and learned. And then she saw he's coming and he's going to be born. I bet she could quote the Old Testament passages on prophetic word that Christ was coming. I bet she knew it. She read it. And then she pondered these things in her heart. He's here. He he really did come. Can you imagine, moms? You're carrying the Messiah. She was human. Don't ever forget that. I got to believe she devoured the Bible from front to back to prepare herself to raise this child. And then she read through tears. He's going to be born. He will be pierced for our transgressions. She knew that there would be a day that this child that she was carrying would one day die on a cross. You bet she treasured. You bet she pondered. You bet any mom would. The oncoming death of this child that the Holy Spirit had conceived in her. You see, I hope this, please, Don't ever look at the nativity scene again and say, 
It's just another Christmas. Mary looks really good again. Three wise men. This was and is and will always be the most miraculous account of birth that mankind has ever and will ever see again. So is that what happens to you when you think about Christmas? Or is it just come another date on the calendar? It's December 25th. This week, I began to think through the details of this account in a fresh way. And and I tried to pause and consider what it must have been like for the king of kings, the Lord of lords to come. I started to ponder from the, from the perspective of a father giving up his son and planning his arrival to planet earth. Can you imagine that? Imagine being God. You're planning the arrival of your son, Jesus Christ. You have unlimited resources and options. It's like he could have came any way possible. Imagine you want to bring your son to earth. You want everyone to say, that's my boy in whom I'm well pleased. He's coming and he can't be stopped. Imagine you, God, the father, planning. Imagine dads introducing your son for the first time, your only son on planet earth. Shouldn't a king's son be born with great fanfare and tons of paparazzi? Shouldn't a king's son be born into a, a rich family and famous instead of peasants who were barely teenagers? Would you plan your son's arrival that way? Shouldn't a king be born in a bassinet instead of a manger? Shouldn't he have been born in Rome instead of the countryside of Bethlehem? Shouldn't he have been born in a castle instead of a barn? Shouldn't a king ready to rule politically like everyone thought come in pomp and circumstance instead of barely visible but by a few shepherds out in the fields. Shouldn't his family have been wealthy instead of peasants? Stop and consider the cost for a second. Just wrap your mind around that. His arrival would not only be birth, but it would include death. And so this week, I was trying to wrap my mind. I tried to jump in the text and, and, and visualize this and, and become part of this story. And my son Josh is home from college, and my son Isaiah, and they were seated on the couch. And I was processing all this. And I'm looking over at my, at my 22-year-old son and my 14-year-old son. I'm thinking, I couldn't do it. I couldn't send them. I couldn't send Josh and Isaiah. I couldn't, I just couldn't do it as a father. I could not give my boys up to know that they would be rejected, to know that they would be spit upon, to know that they would die on the cross for people who would most likely reject him. I just couldn't do it. But our God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son to save us. That's what this nativity scene means to me. Please, don't let this get dull. He reduced himself to an embryo, the king of kings and the lord of lords, and the embryo begins as the size of a salt grain. Why? Why did he come? Because we're sinking, aren't we? We're dying without him. It's like we're going to drown without a savior. 
because we're lost in our sins, and our sins keep us far from God. It's like someone's got to rescue us. We're sinking farther and farther and farther. We need help. Some of you are sinking in this room, and you need a rescuer. You need a God that will save you. His name is Jesus Christ. A couple trips back, we went to visit our kids in Thailand and Cambodia. We take our children swimming. It's one of the things they love to do. They get to go once or twice a year. And so we take them swimming. Now just picture, if you can, 20 to 25 kids in the back of a truck all by themselves. You go to a swimming pool. There's the kiddie pool, and there's the adult pool. It starts out like it is in America, three, four, and then gets up to six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 feet. Now picture 10 adults with, with 25 kids. Picture children who haven't swam in a long time, seeing water and wanting to swim without life jackets. Some of them have never swam. And so my antennas were like on full alert, father mode, watching everybody. It's like, and I recall a time even when it took Isaiah there. He was nine years old, one of his first trips, eight or nine years old. He got in the pool, and the kids had no concept of water. And there was like six kids on him. I thought they were going to drown him. It's just, and so I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was seated on the edge of the pool getting ready to get in, and I'm watching all the interaction over here. There was, everyone was having fun. We were throwing balls. We were tossing kids, and, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I saw this splash. Didn't think much of it because kids were jumping in and out of the pool. So my attention didn't go there, and I'm watching this. And then out of the right corner of my eye, I see this man that was on the other side of the kiddie pool who was down playing with the kids. I see this blur come around me, run around me, dive into the water, and I'm like, what's going on? And I saw this little hand. I looked over. There was this little hand, baby Ford, two years old, had jumped off the side. He's a very rambunctious boy, and he was sinking to the bottom of the, of the pool. He was about to drown in the pool. But this father saw him. This father came running, dove into the water, grabbed hold of his arm, and rescued him. And I wonder how many in this room or in the link or across the internet are sinking and need someone to rescue them. Jesus came on a salvage mission to rescue you. He wanted to save people from whatever was making their personal ship sink. There are a lot of things that make your personal ship sink. Rebellion and greed, selfishness, pride, runaway ambition, despair or hopelessness. There are people in this room, and you're here. I know you are. There are people in the link. You are drowning you are sinking in despair and you're wondering, does anyone see me or is everyone over on that end of the pool having the party of their lives and I'm over here asking for help? Let me tell you, Jesus sees you. He wants to reach down and rescue you, raise you up and set you on a new path and a new kind of life. You see, no depth is too deep for our Savior. No price too much. No sin so large that he won't rescue you. Anyone feel like they're sinking this Christmas season in this room? Anyone feel like 
you can't find your way to the top and your chest doggy paddling and barely holding on. And you're saying, please, someone rescue me. I have good news. That's what all this is about. That's why Jesus came. That's why you can have hope today. The same God that holds the world together, that creates trillion of, a trillion, trillion snowflakes that are, uh, that are different. The same God that, that holds the world together with his hands. The same God that's, that can see what's happening in Asia and Africa. The same God can see you right now and he sees your heart and he knows the hopelessness that you felt last night. He knows the deep spiraling depression that you're in. He knows that, that you're holding out. He knows that you know that you need to be rescued and he knows that you must must reach out so he can rescue you. Any of you feel like your plans have gone south for the winter and you just can't hold on any longer? You see, it wasn't for fanfare that Jesus came. He came for you and you and you and you and you and you. And he came for me. See, today could be your day that Father God comes running along the side of the pool because you're sinking to the bottom. He wants to come and dive in, grab a hold of your arm, and rescue you. I reached my hand out 45 years ago, and he rescued me. And I'll never forget that day. And only God can do that because he's a wonderful God. This could be your best Christmas ever. You see, the same God that makes a snowflake that doesn't have a match or a pair has designed an incredible plan called salvation that can reach anyone from here to the other side of the world. And he wants to rescue you too. Lord, I I pray in this moment, and please, no one leave the room in the link or the main. Just hold on for a second. This is a holy moment. God, I know there's people in this room who feel like they're sinking I don't know, maybe pride or their skeptics or cynicism or the fear of what other people will think keeps them from holding their hand out and say, rescue me, God. Jesus, I pray that you would break down those barriers. God, this could be the greatest Christmas ever for individuals in this room. This could be the day where Jesus rescued them. So if you're in this room and you're contemplating, man, do I need Jesus? The answer is simple. Yes, you do. You need him. That's why I came 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's not just this really cool event that we've moved away from. Christmas continues every single day of our lives. Jesus saves over and over and over and over and over. 
you're in this room and you have this uncertainty and you don't know that how you're going to make it and you feel like you're sinking and you have no exit plan. It's like, well, Jesus is the answer. And if right now your heart is just like pounding inside of your chest and you're thinking, man, how come he's only talking to me? Listen to me. The God above sent his only son to rescue you and to offer you a glorious salvation, so rich, so free. He promises never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to give you the Holy Spirit that gives you an unfair advantage. He promises to walk with you the rest of your life. He promises to give you life that's rich and free on planet earth. He promises an eternity in heaven forever and ever. The Bible says all we have to do is call upon him. It's not rocket science. Listen to me, it's not rocket science. It's like picking up your cell phone and calling your friend and say, hey, I need help. It's like, it's like calling mom or dad or your brother or sister or husband and, and dialing their number. It's like telling Siri, call God. The Bible says if we call upon him, we will be saved. Jesus is waiting. Jesus wants to rescue Jesus is ready to dive in the deep end for you and you and you. And he wants to do it today. So if you want to be rescued and you want to begin this incredible journey as a Christ follower, then the Bible tells us if if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe that he was raised from the dead and he is the Lord of Lords, we will be saved. And so we call, we call, we confess, we speak out. We, we say, God, rescue me. So if you want to be rescued, just repeat this with me. This is your rescue call to God. This is your 911. Dear God, I'm sinking. I can barely keep my head above water. I, I'm not going to make it. Rescue me from my sin that would separate from you forever and ever. Save me. Rescue me. And may this be the best Christmas ever. Lord, I pray that you would move in hearts and and that people would step through pride and whatever else the enemy wants to feed them. And they would believe truth because truth sets you free. Jesus sets us free. I'm going to ask you to stand with your eyes closed in both venues and just stand to your feet. And Please, no one leave the rooms. Don't leave in the length. Don't leave in the main. This is a holy moment. Pastor Dan is at the back in the, of the link. He's standing in the hallway. And if you want to be rescued, you want to meet Jesus Christ, I want you to come over here in the main. I want you to walk up on the stage and I want to give you a snowflake as a reminder that year after year you put it on your tree and say, I was rescued, I was rescued, I was rescued. And if you're here in the main, I invite you to come and I want to offer you this snowflake as a reminder of how Christ rescued you and saved you. So come as we sing this song to my left and just If you're here with someone, maybe you walk with them. Maybe you turn to them and say, hey, hey, do you know Christ? 
Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.